All right. And as those guys go out, it's, uh, man, I don't know if it's me. We've been traveling a lot, and, you know, we just got back from Houston and, and uh, all the chaotic driving, and then we leave the chaotic uh, traffic of Houston and drive into the, uh, the uh, area of the Cap Rock here on the High Plains, and the wind's terrible, so terrible we're, you know, having to fight the wind coming in. So I'm a little off today. I don't know if it's just all of us or what, but uh, the high winds or what. But, uh, so, so bear with me here a little bit. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord for his uh, presence this morning, that he would uh, come and, and send uh, what Paul called the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the Holy Spirit, to, uh, to open up his word to our, to our hearing this morning. Would you, would you pray along with me there for yourself as I pray for us overall? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your presence amongst us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that as just the songs that we sang this morning are so true, Lord God. We've been shown amazing grace. Um, we've been shown amazing love from you, Lord God. And, and it's, uh, it's such, Lord God, that it changes our lives, Lord God. It changes our, our destiny forever. And, and the things that we're experiencing now in the Lord Jesus Christ, all the folks of the Old Testament, all the, all the Israelites, all the, uh, all, the, uh, all the prophets of the Old Testament, the kings, David and them, they all desire to see what we're seeing today. Uh, so, Father, thank you that we're, we were, are receiving the blessing of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ and all that that means and all of his richness, Lord God. We just can't comprehend it all. Uh, But, Father, I pray that that wouldn't keep us from trying to comprehend all that you've done on our behalf. Lord, open your word to us, I pray. Send your Holy Spirit to us this morning that uh, that he might reveal to us your scripture, your words, in a way that we haven't seen before. Lord, enlarge our canvas uh, that we might get a greater view of what you've done for us and who you are. It's in Jesus Christ's great name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for, for being here today. Let's, um, I'm going to do just a tiny bit of rehashing of, of where we've been in Colossians and remind you what the theme of the book is. And then we've just got basically a chapter to finish to, uh, to finish this letter uh, to the believers in Colossae. So let me remind you, the book of, of Colossians is all about the supremacy of Christ. Over and over and again, Paul writes about the fullness of Christ, about how, how in him is all things, about he is the creator, he is the redeemer. He's the one that's shown to be the one who, who basically fulfills all of the desires of the Old Testament, all the structures of the Old Testament, sacrificial systems and priesthoods and all of those things are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And matter of fact, there's this, this staggering statement that says that in him, uh, talks about in him is fullness and that we have been given fullness in him. And so basically what Paul's writing to the church in Colossae is, you've been, going, been given so much in the Lord Jesus Christ, why would you look anywhere else? Right? Why would you look anywhere else? He is the, the supreme one. He's the one who's supposed to be supreme in our lives and supreme in our hearts because he is in reality the supreme one. Amen? He is, he, is the, he is the heart of our desires. He's the one that we've been looking for. He's the solution to our problems. He's the, uh, he's the God. He's the creator. He is the one that we've been looking for. He's the salvation that we need. He's the, he's the freedom that we needed from sin and death. He's, he's broken the shackles of, of sin over us and so that sin is no longer our master and we've been set free just like I was reading here before uh, with the Israelites being set free in the Exodus, was all a foreshadowing. All of that history of the Old Testament was so that you and I could get the depth and the breadth and the height of all that Jesus Christ has done in the New Testament. Amazing, isn't it? How God um, raised up Egypt and he raised up Pharaoh and, and, and the, the Israelites came and he allowed the, the Israelites to be under captivity for hundreds of years so that one day he could, re- he could by his hand, he could release them and set them free so that he could, so that he could show folks today in, in the New Testament after the cross of Jesus Christ 
this is what it has what this is what I've done for you. It's like you're a captive. It's like you were a slave and you've been set free by the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, this is good news for us, isn't it? This is fantastic news. This is the best news I've heard, in fact, uh, which is why we call it the gospel, right? Um, so anyway, so, so <clears throat> what we talked about the last couple of weeks, though, is what we've said is this, is, or what Paul has written is, and he's, what he's talking about is he's talking about the old life and the new life. He said that old life was, was corrupt, that old life was, was embittered, that old life had, had in it greed and, and sexual immorality and, and that we need to step away from that like, like they're old filthy clothes. We need, to, we need to step out of those clothes and we don't need to go back to sexual immorality and we don't need to go back to bitterness and we don't need to go back to rage or malice and all those things, but we need to put on new clothes that are fitting to the people of God fitting to people who have been redeemed by God because those old things are not proper for God's people, right? What he talked about then was he talked about clothing ourselves in this new lives and the, the things that we clothe ourselves with are, are bearing with each other and forgiving each other and, and putting on love over everything else is to have a great love for each other, which is in the end, right, this is what God is like. He was forbearing with us, wasn't he? He was, he was patient with us, wasn't he? He was forgiving us, wasn't he? And he loved us eternally, unconditionally. And that's what the Apostle Paul says, now as God's people, now as God's redeemed, how you're supposed to look and how you're supposed to act is to be and to do like him. When it comes to your relationships with other people, be bearing with each other. When it comes to relationships with other people, be forgiving. When it comes to other people, be loving toward them. Be self-serving toward them. You know, serve. Self-serving is the wrong term there, isn't it? I'm sorry. Be self-sacrificing toward them, not self-serving. Be self-sacrificing toward them. You know, put them first. Defer to them. Give them preference and to forgive them. And listen, if that's where we stop, then basically, yeah, here's the deal. So what Paul's saying is all up till now, what he's been telling uh, to put on this new life is about within the body of believers, this is how we're supposed to act. But today, Paul's going to come into your living room. Today, Paul's going to come into your workplace and he's going to tell you, he's going to basically, you know, kind of get up in your face and tell you this new life has to be lived out here at home. This new life has to be lived out here in your workplace. They're some of the most important arenas of, of your life. And let me tell you one of the reasons why. One of the reasons why that's so, such an important place for you and I to live out this new life where Christ is supposed to be shining through is that in your choice and in my choice of the people that we hang around, we typically choose to be around people just like us, right? Right? We, we, t- we tend to hang around people who are, who are believers. And listen, uh, there have been studies after studies that shows this. When someone first comes to Christ, the majority of the people they know are unbelievers. Within five years, the majority of the people that they know are believers. You hear what I'm saying? So the point is, is that o- over a period of time, you will choose to exclude unbelievers from your life. This is not good. This is not appropriate. But I'm just telling you, those are the facts. How then are people saved? How then can, can people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? It's in the place of your work where you don't have a choice who you're hanging out with, right? The people can come to know the Lord through you. God help us. Amen? And even more importantly, you know, some of us, have, uh, some of us are, my children are all, all but raised. You know, we're basically done. We told our kids, you know what? Y'all can move out anytime. We've pretty much done all we could. Uh, you know, if, you've, if, if we've failed anywhere, I'm sorry. It was, just, we, it was the best we could do, you know? 
Uh, but uh, our kids are basically done. But, but uh, for those of you who have kids or have grandkids around, you are still in your home. You are setting an example for the next generation or the next generation and for following generations about how people are to act, how people are to do who have become the redeemed of God. The people are to become the family of God. You're setting an example. You're setting an environment in your home. And we need to be careful how we do it. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's read about this. So Paul's going to get very personally. He's coming to your living room. Are you ready for him? He's coming to your living room, and he's telling you, put on your new life right here. Don't put up with that old life. You put on these new clothes. You put on a life that is proper for God's people in your home. You put on, and, and you put on a, uh, those clothes. You put on it like, a, like, a, like something that's covering you in your workplace, and you be a believer there. You put on this new life. Uh, in those, in those great, greatest of arenas here for the believer. So here we go. In uh, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read um, th- Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. <coughs> Please excuse me. <coughs> Through um, 4, chapter 4, verse 1. Okay, so Carl, I'm going to need a water. Would you mind, sir? Thank you very much. <coughs> I have what I'm guessing we all have today, right? All this wind and oh my goodness. Okay, um, Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Let's just read through this, and we're going to go back through it. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, And do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence to the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you you are serving, and anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, Provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. All right, Lord, Lord God, help us as we, uh, as we are in your word this morning. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> All right, so starting, this is very similar, right? You, you guys can see the similar similarities as we read through this. This is very similar to a sister letter that Paul wrote in Ephesians when I preach, when I do premarital counseling, as I just finished here with uh, Amber and Amber, Aaron, um, whenever we do this, man, we're in Ephesians chapter 5 a lot, which is basically says a lot of the same things, except in Ephesians, Paul takes and he, and he does it in much more words, he, and he talks about how, um, how the love of a husband is supposed to be like the love of Jesus Christ for his bride, the church. Here, it's just very succinct. It's very short, isn't it? Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. I think a couple of things are interesting about this. One is in both cases here in Ephesians or in Ephesians and here in Colossians, Paul addresses the wives first and then on down. So notice he addresses wives first and then children before fathers and then slaves before masters. And you might kind of wonder why that is. <clears throat> I do kind of wonder why it is. I think in the structure of the home, what the idea here is, is that um, the reason that Paul says to wives specifically to submit to their husbands is a husband can't lead 
if his wife is not submissive. A husband can't call. You know, he can't. I heard Jimmy Evans say it like this. is If the wife has stepped up and taken the place of leadership within the home, the husband has no place to go, right? The wife first has to submit and allow the husband to step up. So if she's not submissive, there's no point in talking to the husband, right? She's got to be submissive and leave room to leave place for her husband to be able to lead in the home, yeah? Yeah, so maybe, maybe that's what's in mind here. don't really know. It doesn't really say, but that's just my guess. Um, but anyway, what I do know it says is that wives submit to your husband. That, that word submission basically refers to a voluntary leading. It means that, a, that it means that a wife is taking her will or taking her want or her desires and putting it underneath her husband. Now today, you say things like that outside the church in particular, and it sounds very sexist, right? It sounds very sexist. It, this is all really important. You notice there are words to wives and there are words to husbands. There are words to children and there are words to parents. There are words to slaves and there are words to masters, right? Here, you, you can't take this away. This is all part of the word and this is how God intended the family to work. And so you can't take this away. You know, we can't be ashamed to teach and to preach this. This is the word of God and I believe this is how family works best, right? Let me, let me explain it to you like this, ladies. Do you remember one of my favorite stories, and Jonathan and I talk about this all the time, but you remember the story um, when, uh, when Jonathan, who is the son of King Saul, is going up and he's attacking a Philistine outpost. And he's with him, and they make some little scheme about whether or not they're going to attack this outpost. And he turns to his armor bearer, who is there, his right-hand man, right? He's his right-hand man to his armor bearer. And Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and he says, hey, if this happens, let's go up and attack. And he says, if this happens, we'll know that the Lord's not with us and we shouldn't attack. And he turns to his armor bearer to see what he says about it. And the armor bearer says to him, what, Jonathan? I am with you heart and soul. Basically, he's telling to Jonathan, you lead, I'll follow. I'm right here. I've got your six. You know, I will back you up. I'm going to be right here fighting with you. That's the kind of, and I know that's between a, a, a soldier and his armor bearer, but that's the kind of loyalty. It's really a loyal love is what Paul's describing. It's that loyal love where a woman comes alongside a man and says, I am with you heart and soul. You lead and I will follow. And I tell you, ladies, your man, that you want to propel your man to greatness, you be that kind of woman to him. You be that kind of woman, and you guys are going to go places together. Amen? Uh, it's the truth. It's the truth. That kind of loyal love, and, and let me just tell you too, I see this so much in the workplace. Men in the workplace, as you guys work around men and women, right? So men in the workplace tend to be very independent, right? Very headstrong sometimes. Matter of fact, if you're a manager, sometimes the best you can do is kind of provide a little guidance for men, and then, uh, you know, you just kind of got to get out of their way sometimes. For women, however, women have this great, this fantastic, beautiful attribute of loyalty, which I love. It, it, it's fantastic. And so, you know, where, where, uh, which is fantastic and which is what's, what I think is what's in mind here for Paul when he's describing the, the, the place and the submissive spirit of woman to say, I am with you and I support you heart and soul. He's, yeah, the, the, the armor bearer says to him, do whatever you have in mind. I am with you heart and soul. It's that same love that Ruth had for um, her mother-in-law, Naomi, right? Wherever, um, uh, did I say it right? Na- Naomi, yeah. Um, wherever, uh, um, wh- whenever she came to her, and just in loving loyalty, she said to her mother-in-law, she said, wherever what? You go, I go, right? It's that loving loyalty. It's that pledge of love that a woman makes at the altar that says, I will be with you 
through thick and thin. I will be here. I am devoted to you. And I am, I'm going to show you that loving loyalty um, in this pledge, this covenant of marriage. That's what Paul, I think, has in mind here. It's that giving preference to her husband or deferring to her. It's that loyal love that says, I'm going to love you by following you. I'm going to love you by trusting you. Right? Men, we're going to get to you in just a minute. As is fitting to the Lord. That means that, that, that this kind of thing, this is what is expected. This is what God's desire is for women who, are, who have come into the kingdom of God. If you're, if you're under the kingdom of God, that means you're under God's, God's rule. If, ladies, if you're going to be in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to submit to your husbands. Yeah? Okay. All right, next is for men. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul goes on and on and on about the duties of a husband, and it's really pretty annoying. No, not really. It's really good stuff, but it's really tough because in Ephesians, he calls it out in much more clarity. He says, men, lay down your whole life for your woman. How about that? Sacrifice it all. There's nothing that's not on the table that you shouldn't be willing to sacrifice for your girl. How about that? Yeah, that's what God calls men to. Let's see specifically, he, brief, he shortens it really, really briefly here. Here's the words, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Here, this word, anyone want to guess which Greek word this is for love? There are about three for love in the, in the scriptures in, in Greek. This word is which one? Guess. It is agape, agapeo here in particular. Husbands, agapeo your wives. That term agape is used to describe God's love for his people. Tell me about God's love for his people. How's God loved you? Unconditionally, did I hear? Yes. What else? Unendingly. It's that stubborn love of God that refuses to give up. Unfailing love. That's right. No matter what, he, he, it's just this stubborn, continuing love that just always sees the good, always looking for the good, never, never judging his own people. It's amazing, isn't it? What else? I'm sorry. Complete. Yeah, and complete. Yeah, absolute complete love. Lacking nothing. Yes, while we were still sinners, right? Without condition. Totally unconditional. Sacrificial love. Yeah, absolutely. Self-sacrificing. I'm willing to lay down my life um, right for another. So, so that's the kind of love, man, that we're called to have for our ladies. And that's a, that's a tall order. Matter of fact, I'm not capable of it and neither are you. Just like it's tough. So, so I, always, I like to ask couples um, whenever we're going through Ephesians when I'm doing premarital counseling. <clears throat> Paul says that you're sp- women, you're supposed to submit to your husbands and there's no condition on that, right? The, the, then men, so, so gentlemen, so, so Paul says that you're supposed to love your wife unconditionally every day for the next 40, 60, whatever, however long the Lord gives you. How, how are you going to do that? How, ladies, how are you going to submit to a man who doesn't deserve it every day? Men, how are you going to love a woman who doesn't deserve your love every day? Listen, there's no condition to it. You just have, have to do it. We're just called to do it. Listen, the only way I know how to do this is to ask, Lord, you put your love in my heart for my girl. You put your love because mine's not adequate. Mine's insufficient. Mine is not unconditional. Mine is not unfailing. Mine, mine tends to be short-sighted. Mine tends to be self-serving. And when I see that, I recognize that because the Apostle Paul taught me through the Lord Jesus Christ, that's old nature stuff. That's got to come off. 
That, that old self-serving love that I'd have, that self-serving or, or short-sighted love, that's got to come off. What we're asked to put on is unconditional, self-sacrificing love. And that only happens through your connection, your time before the Father in, the, in, in company of the Spirit and, and with His Word daily in Him restoring your soul every day and walking with Him every day. That's the only way that's going to happen, right? It's the only way it's going to happen. Your love is going to fail for your spouse. You're not going to make it. You don't have enough. But the Lord Jesus has power and authority and the resources to help you and to love your man or your girl, your, your man or your woman through, through you in ways that you never even imagined. Amen? All right. Um, so, yeah, so we've talked about this. It is interesting what he says here, and do not be harsh with them. This word for do not mean be harsh with them actually comes from a Greek word that means to embitter them. It, it can be used to like uh, if you drank something sour and it soured your stomach and made your stomach bitter. It says basically do not embitter your wives, right? So in other words, man, you're not supposed to treat your wife in a way that, that, that makes her angry or irritated. This is difficult for me. Is it, man, is this difficult for you? I, I struggle with not irritating my wife. I don't know. Uh, yeah, okay. But it basically says, don't be harsh with her. So in other words, here's what it says. Have a tender love for your wife. Listen, we all know this, but maybe you didn't when you first got married. You can't love your wife like you loved your old football team. You know what I'm saying? It's a different kind of love, right? You can't love your wife like you did, you know, hanging out in the locker room with the guys and joking around. That's different, right? This kind of love is a very tender love that Paul says that we're supposed to have for our lives. It's not a harsh kind of treatment. It's a very, very tender kind of love that we're supposed to have for our lives. So, so let me wrap it up with, like this on, on this idea about, uh, about love and marriage. Wives, love your husbands with a loyal love, and husbands, love your wives with an unconditional love love. So there you go. So husbands and wives, Paul's coming right into your living room. He's coming right into your bedroom and he's telling you, this is what you've got to put on. This is what the new life looks like. This is how to, to make Jesus Christ shine through you is to treat your spouse like this. And listen, there is no greater thing that we can do for our spouse than to represent Jesus Christ to them. You know what I'm saying? So my wife messes up and for me to go to her and say, I forgive you. I, I forgive you. Or for me to mess up and, and to go my wife and tell her, just I have just blown it. And for her not to come back to me and just you know, be you know, harsh and, and unforgiving and what have you done? What do you mean you messed up? What do you mean you did this? But to actually come to me and say, I forgive you. Yeah, that's great. It, it actually helps us understand the forgiveness of God better. It helps us understand the love and that, that, that unending and unfailing love of God that is not so, so, um, so fragile. It's unfortunate, isn't it, today that, that uh, the idea of love in our society is nothing like this, is it? The idea of love in our society is a very fragile thing. It has great romantic notion behind it, but it's so fragile sometimes in some marriages it doesn't even last a year. That's not the love of the Bible. That's not the commitment or the covenant of marriage in the Bible. The covenant of marriage is, I love you with a God-like love that is unfailing. Whenever we pledge and we make a promise, right, when we, when we make a promise to, uh, to be married, it's what? It's in health and sickness, right? In, in, in richer, richer or poorer, whatever the circumstances, whatever they are, I'm going to pledge to be with you and I'm going to love you through it all. 
That's Christian marriage. Now, let me say all that, and let me, uh, let me hit you a little bit in the face with this. The divorce rate in marriage is the same as it is in the church as it is in the rest of society. Someone, somehow, we're not getting this in the church today. Somehow, somehow we're, we're, we're accepting this, this, this idea of love and this temporariness of marriage idea that comes from society that is not biblical. It's so important for you and I to be demonstrating and living this new life out for people in our church, for our children, for our friends outside the church, for people that you work with, that there's a stark difference. Listen, the world needs this. Listen, the world is, our society is falling apart because marriages are falling apart. Did you know I heard a statistic the other day? It said 85, get this, 85% of men who are in prison grew up without a father in the home. It makes me wonder why we're spending money on anything but trying to keep families together in our society. Listen, this is, I think, one of the most important roles of the church in our society and something that we're going to do a little better job here promoting here at Calvary um, as we make some plans to do some, uh, some maybe once a month weekend uh, um, um, uh, marriage uh, seminars. It'd be, we're going to try to make it a lot of fun, but also something really great that you can attend, but not just you. You and some of your friends also, maybe some of your unbelieving friends, uh, we'd love to see them here because we want to support marriage. We want to build it up here because like the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, marriage should be honored by you all. I love it. Okay, fantastic. Okay, let's move on though. So he talks about wives and he talks about, about husbands and then he's going to talk about children. He's going to talk about fathers. So here we go. So for children, he says, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Now, those of you who have small children or children who are maybe teenagers or whatever, what I love to do with memory verses is to write them out on a postcard. And then sometimes we can, you know, we'll put them on a, on a mirror. We did that with our kids when they were very, whenever they were very young. Or I'll put one, if I'm trying to memorize it, I'll put it in my pocket, and I find it throughout the day. And, oh, it reminds me to read it. This is great. You got small kids? Write this down and put it up on their mirror. Huh? This is a good one. Hey, uh, so, what's that say again? I can't remember. Uh, what, what's that verse? Yeah, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That word obedience in, in Greek has the idea of listening and acting. It has the idea of following or orders. But first of all, it starts with hearing the order, hearing in, in obedience, right? How do we know what we're supposed to do unless we listen, right? So the very first thing is it has, has these two ideas. The first one is in hearing what, is, what they're being told and then acting on what they're being told. It has that idea of, of being like a soldier who's standing at attention, ready to receive his orders. Obey your parents. And not, not, notice what it says, in everything. This is, so what he's, in all things, obey your parents. In everything, obey your parents. He doesn't give the child, the child's not given like a buffet. Well, I'll do this that they told me, but I'm not going to do this. It's not a buffet line of what you want, right? It's obey your parents in what? Everything. For why? This pleases the Lord. You know, so many times we beat our heads against the wall. Lord, what is your will? What do you want for me to do? And for, uh, often that happens, right, when, when people are, uh, are, uh, are teenagers. Well, here's one right here. It pleases God when you obey your parents. You know, one of the ways, let me make this a little more spiritual. One of the reasons I think this is, as parents, you know, especially when your children are very young, you are representing God to them right? 
Matter of fact, many of us, the way that we relate to God, I should say probably all of us, the way that we relate to God is probably the same way we related to our father, right? If you had a father who is very critical, if you had a father who is very um, self-absorbed, you probably have problems responding and relating to God very well, right? It's a struggle for us. For, For many, many people, it's a struggle. Our job as parents is to come in and to represent God well so that one day we step out of the way, right, and our children come to know God because they've known God through us. Yeah, that's the idea, isn't it? Very simple, very simple. But God wants obedience from children to parents because God wants obedience from children to their God. Yeah, all right. So that's why, that's one of the reasons so important. Also, it's just the order. You know, this is God's intended order of the home for children to be not rebellious, but to be obedient to their parents. Um, And this pleases the Lord. Fathers. Now, it's interesting here he says fathers. Now, you guys know in the Greek language, if if any of you speak any uh, of the Latin languages, many of them have gender, right? So you may say the word fathers meaning parents, right? We have gender neutral in English and in, in, uh, in, in languages like Greek or languages like Spanish. There is, every word has gender. So you can't just say, well, there's a word for it, but, but typically you, every, everything has gender. So some ways this might refer to parents. However, I think in particular this says fathers because of what comes after it. Do you know many women who embitter their children? No, but I know a lot of men who do. You? Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. I think it's interesting here that Paul says things that we are supposed to do and things that we're not supposed to do. And so here's what he says. He says he speaks specifically to to fathers perhaps and he says do not embitter them. This word embitter is different than the one that he used um, about about, um, husbands and wives. This word means to stir up emotion. And when it's talking about a negative emotion, basically it it talks about an emotion or excitement. Here the negative sense means he's, he's saying don't provoke them. He's saying, don't, don't provoke them. Don't, don't embitter them. Basically, what he's saying, I think, is that don't, don't be constantly criticizing. Don't be constantly fault-finding with your children. Don't be constantly nagging them. Don't be constantly harassing them or overcorrecting them. Because we all know this, right? Children grow up well in a home where they are showered with encouragement and occasionally corrected, Right? Now, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to downplay the importance of correction. I'm not downplaying the importance of, of, uh, of correction or rebuke when it needs to happen. But I really want to play up. Children grow up best when they're just showered with encouragement. And we're all like that, right? I mean, if you go to your boss and, he, and he's giving you your performance evaluation, he says, well, I want to nitpick with you about this. You know, you don't do this well. You were five minutes late on this day. You did a terrible job on this. You didn't do this very well. Uh, this, and then he says one good thing. None of us likes that. Neither do our children. Your child needs to grow up with encouragement, with encouraging words. And men, you know, if, if a woman's words carry a pound, uh, a man's words carry 10 pounds, right? You know this, right? When a man speaks, it's just different. When a father speaks, it's just different. It's why for years, you know, the old joke was, well, just wait till your father gets home, right? Because when a man speaks, it's just different. So men, we need to be very careful with our words. And you need to speak and create an environment in your home when you're not embittering your children, but you're showering them with encouragement. And just occasionally picking correction, right? Children do much better when you're encouraging them and telling them what they're doing right 
and then occasionally addressing the things that they're doing wrong, correct? Right? Okay, so let's say this. So children grow with showering of encouragement and occasional correction. All right, so um, let's see. So last thing is slaves and masters. Read this along with me. This is interesting. Oh, well, let's see. Before we get to that, let me say, um, so in the Roman world, um, slavery was, man, it was just widespread, right? 50% of, depending especially on where you lived, there might be as many, there might be more than 50% of people were actually slaves, right? These were people who were maybe household servants who had who'd basically moved in with a family so that they could have regular food, and then they would do kind of the menial tasks around the house, the housekeeping, the keeping of some livestock, the keeping of the children, or whatever. But uh, full up, 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. It, it's, it's different than the, the slavery we, we kind of had in the, in the United States, but, but still, I'm sure, had you know, some horrendous parts as the, as the slavery did here in the West, um, you know, a couple of millennia later. But anyway, listen to what he says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when his eye is on you, when their eye is on you, and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. I love what he says here. And let me just say this real quickly. If Paul was saying this to slaves who had no say and no right to, to, to leave or to speak up against their master, right? If they tried to leave, it would be like the American uh, slavery, right? If they tried to leave their master, they would be brought back. You know, you could be charged for that. A slave could do, could do time for that kind of thing, right? They had no choice. How much more weight do, do Paul's words carry in employment, right? Where you and I, we go work for someone voluntarily. Not only that, we get paid. We get, you might get time off. You might get a retirement's benefit. How much more does this apply to us? How much, how much more striking, how much more impact do Paul's words have on us when we do have the choice to work or not to work? But listen to what he says. Work with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Listen, so what he's talking about here is working sincerely. He's talking about having a work ethic, right? He's talking about how godly it is to have a work ethic, to work not only when your master is watching, but whenever your master is not watching, to keep doing your master's will. Yeah? Listen, I, I know uh, Tim Teeson's not here, but Becky could tell us here they're a business owner. If you have an employee who will do the work of the business, who will do the work of the boss when the boss isn't looking, man, he's worth keeping, right? They're few and far between. Listen, Christians ought to be the most hardworking and best work ethic people in the world because of how he ends this verse and says in the next one, as uh, in reverence for the Lord and in reverence for the Lord. Listen to what he says in verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for, for men. Now listen to what he says in verse 24. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. How about that? So listen to what Paul's just done here. He's taken all the horrible menial tasks that every slave was doing in those days, and he's just elevated it to say, no matter how menial, no matter how low, no matter how difficult the tasks are that you're doing at your job, if you do them for the Lord, they take on a supernatural, a spiritual aspect. I think this is fascinating, these, these words like this, because what, what Paul's saying here is that you're doing these menial tasks if you do it with the right attitude, if you do it as though you're doing it in, in worship or in, in service to the Lord, if you do it for that, he says, you'll have an inheritance in heaven for it. This is crazy. This is baffling to me. But somehow in God's economy, when you do the most menial, unspiritual task, 
it's still spiritual. It still counts. It still matters. See, because my mind and your mind, I'm afraid probably, has been a little bit polluted to say that there's my sacred work, there's my sacred part of my life, which is Sunday mornings, which is maybe prayer times before meals, which is maybe a a daily quiet time, which is maybe my tithing, maybe my giving. And then there's my secular work. There's my, there's my work work, and, and, and I have this line drawn between them. Can I tell you, the Bible has no sacred secular divide. There is none. It all belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? It's all His. Your work life, your home life, your private time with the Lord, it's all His. I'm afraid in some ways we've taken this idea of the separation of church and state and we've applied it in our lives because we believed it in our society. Listen, it's not true. Everything you do, do it as though you're working for the Lord. And in the end, there's a glorious inheritance in heaven for you, for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the work that you do in his name. How about that? The most menial task, I don't care if you're scrubbing a toilet. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're mopping the floors. I don't care if you're digging ditches. I don't care if you're president of the United States. Whatever you do, if you do it for the glory of the Lord, there's an inheritance, a glorious inheritance for you, for doing it with the right attitude and the right service as doing it for the Lord. That's incredible to me. That's amazing to me. It absolutely wipes out and says, everything that I do matters. Everything I do matters. I'm not talking about getting recognition from other people. What I'm doing, saying is that it matters what I do before my Father. It's the, the Lord Jesus Christ comes into my work, right? And, and he says, do this, so you're doing it for me. Well, it matters then, doesn't it? And then to the end with, in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. The reason we call Jesus Lord of Lords is he is the one overall. He is the one who holds accountable everyone who's been given authority. No matter whether they're leaders or kings of the Old Testament, kings of the New Testament, leaders of today, they'll all be held accountable for their actions. Men in your homes, did you hear me? You'll be held accountable for your actions. People in your workplace, if you're a supervisor, if you're a manager, if you're a business owner, you're accountable before God for the way that you treat people. Yeah? Fair. Right. Yeah, be fair. Okay. So, uh, so, um, so let's, let, let's, uh, let's end like this. Here's just what I, what I want to uh, ask you to do is, is to think about this. So, so if you've had in your mind that you have this kind of distinction in your life between, well, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm this way at church and I'm this way around church people, but at home when I let my hair down, I, I'm just different. Listen, no, that, that's not... That's not, uh, that's not the new life that's described in the New Testament. When you go to your job and you think, well, this is just secular. It has nothing to do with Christ. It has nothing to do with my church life. It has nothing to do with my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. No, that's not right. It does. It matters what you do there. It's all for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to take off those old clothes of, uh, of, of, um, of being tempted to act like our work doesn't matter and to go do whatever we want and blow off our work. Listen, Your work matters. The way that you treat your wife, the way that you treat your husband, the environment that you're creating in your home for your children, it matters. Whether or not the Lord Jesus Christ, people can see him in the way that you treat people at work, it matters. The diligence and the sincerity that you work with at work, it matters. 
because Jesus Christ deserves to be glorified through it all. Amen. May we all live in such a way that the unbelieving people around us can look to us and see the glory of our Heavenly Father as we work, as we love our husbands and our wives, as we love our children. Amen? Amen. So powerful is this new life in Christ that He shines through in every relationship, in every arena of our lives. May it be so. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for these words of Paul that, that so elevate marriage and so elevate uh, children and raising children, that so elevates our work, Lord God, to something that matters eternally. So, Father, we're so grateful for that. We're, we're grateful that what we do at work and what we do at home, it's not just drudgery, but it all matters because it's all for your glory. So, Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord God, this week that when we, when we leave this place and we go out from here and we spend time with our family and when we, we get up in the morning and we meet, we meet with you for quiet time and then we show up in our office or we show up in our workspace or at school, that we remember what we do there matters. We want to see our new life in you shine through, that you might be honored and glorified. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all have a great week. Thanks for being here today.